What's up, peeps? Before you get into the episode, just a quick message. Did you know that Rebranded Safety is brought to you by Risk Fluent? Rebranded Safety is essentially our campaign to achieve our purpose, which is to make the working world better by Rebranded Safety one interaction at a time. We value a people-centered approach that delivers positive impact on the risk. We deliver three types of services, technical, transformational, and fire. It's the last show I wanted to talk to you about. If you value what we value and you want some support driving a culture change or decluttering your safety systems, or you want to improve human performance and it's our transformational support that can help you, or maybe you want a highly experienced registered fire risk assessor to carry out an assessment on your building, design an emergency plan or review the fire safety design for your new building, then it's our fire support service that can help you. But before you get in touch with us, it's important that you want to have impact on the actual risk and you value a people-centered approach. If you don't, that's fine. You'll find someone that can help you. But if you do value those, then get in touch with us at riskfluentltd.com or email me, james, at riskfluentltd.com. But for now, I'll let you get into the episode. This, this, this show is brought to you by Safety FM. What's up, peeps? Welcome back to Rebranding Safety. We are back to our normally scheduled content this week. I hope you enjoyed the first episode of the Diversity Mini-Series last week. Um, and the first Monday of the month will be the next episode of the Diversity Mini-Series. And that's running all the way up until next year. So it's going to be loads of content, some really eye-opening conversations. So I hope you're enjoying it. But today, back to our normal scheduled scheduled content let's jump into the intro and i'll tell you some more about it the problem in safety isn't deviation it's complexity health and safety has gone mad health and safety is trying to unpick having gone mad in the past there's no one solution and one problem the problem is that we are looking for one solution does the structure of the team allow them to flourish feel safe enough to be uncomfortable the environment defines our behaviors people aren't the problem they're the solution rebranding safety crushing the stereotype brought to you by risk What's up, peeps? Welcome back to Rebounding Safety. Rebounding Safety is a YouTube channel and podcast doing exactly what it says on the time. We're here to change the perception of safety. So if you're new here, hit that subscribe button and the bell and all those algorithm magical button thingamajigs. So today we are talking to the amazing, the absolutely phenomenal Ruth Denyer. And we actually spoke to Ruth a hell of a long time ago. This episode is really old. You all know where Ruth works now. She works at Netflix now. At the time of recording this, she was in the transition and we couldn't really say. So it was really difficult for us to have this conversation. But we talk about so much. Ruth is actually now um, my mentor. And I'm very, very lucky to get some time with Ruth um, once every now and then, whenever she could fit it in between calls with LA and God knows where else and that amazing job that she's got. I'm not going to get into um, my points on it. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. There'll be a reflection episode in a couple of days after this episode. Let's get into the conversation with Ruth. Well, we're just going to go. I'm going to go straight into it. So yeah. Ruth, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Lot, very long time coming. I can't. We met in February and this has been, <laughs> we've been trying to get you on to now and it's nearly February again. Through the pandemic. Yeah. March. Yeah. Boom. Yes. I don't think you could blame the pandemic on, on this. No. No. I think we can blame life. Yeah. <laughs> life in general with a pandemic on top. But anyway, anyway, people that don't know you, why don't you give us a bit of an introduction into you and then we're just going to chimwag for a bit. 
I am Ruth Dunya. I have been working it, uh, in safety for 23 years now, quite a long time. I did a degree in health and safety. Um, and then I went to work. My first ever safety job was at the National Theatre, which made me, which kind of says a lot about me that I love trying to apply in the creative industries. I wanted to do something a bit different. Um, and I've been at ITV for the last 16 years, which I have just left. And my last role there was group risk director. So I've taken kind of the safety piece and applied kind of that thinking around other risks. We've looked at resilience. We've looked at frameworks, done a bit around enterprise risk. But I know my passion is within the operation side. And now I am moving on to, which I start at the end of November, Netflix to be their director of studio safety um, across the global footprint of Netflix, looking at kind of how we take safety forward and how we keep on doing the great things that they're already doing mm. in the safety space around all their content making, content production activities globally. So I am looking forward to that. Mm. Bit of a change though after 16 years. That's good. 16 years, Jesus. Yeah, I didn't even think of that. That's <laughs> massive actually, isn't it? It's huge. And a couple of the people in my team I've at ITV I have actually, well, a few of them I've worked with for that full 16-year period. So leaving a team that is so established and we work so closely together that you have, like, shorthand with each other. Mm. It's quite a big step. But That's awesome. you have to do it sometimes, don't you? And this is the job to do it for. That must have been a bit more of an emotional decision as well. Like, it must have been really hard emotionally to leave somewhere after 16 years. That's like leaving it's, a family. It really is. And do you know what's interesting is I had I've had a few moments of clarity in my career not many of them to be honest hmm. but a few of them and one of them I was thinking about what I wanted to do for the next I'm in my mid-40s now and you suddenly go oh my god I'm halfway through and you go what do I want <laughs> to do for the next half of my way and actually what I realized was the bit I'm so passionate about is the safety space okay. and because I'd become so broad where I was so I was doing all group risk stuff and frameworks and a lot which I really interests me but and you all know from me that I'm really interested in kind of taking safety forward, looking at safety differently or new, whatever you want to call it, is looking at it differently. Um, <laughs> I, otherwise I'll get trolled. Um, and I wanted to do that in an organisation that had a culture that supported the things that I really want to do just within the safety space and had the scale to be able to do that. So I thought when this role came up at Netflix, I thought, do you know what, if I'm going to go for leave for one role, this is going to be the role I'm going to leave for. And the culture at Netflix has fascinated me for years. Mm. Their culture deck, this context, not control, uh, freedom and responsibility, all those messaging that are within its DNA, making safety work there mm. seems like it should be really a great journey. And the team who are already there are brilliant. So I get some really good people to work with already. Amazing. Do you, how, how was that? Like, that's interesting that you kind of, you took that, that, that kind of broader risk term uh, and then you've gone actually what, what I want to focus on is the safety thing whereas I, I, I don't know I feel like I'm I'm in this like focused safety role and I kind of think you know what it needs to be brought it needs to be risk which is interesting you've had that and gone actually no it needs to be back back down into that which is really interesting because I'd have thought maybe you'd have gone oh do I really just want to go just into safety right now Whereas I've had and I did, risk, I do, you know? and I go, oh, so, you, so as you, I was talking to someone who works at ITV now, and they were talking about you were either a GCSE, an A-level or degree person in your job. So either you are 
very specialist in one area, like a degree person, and you become very, and you really, or you become very broad and you're like a GCSE person doing lots of different things and overseeing a lot, but not one thing specially. And it does, it, you're, you want to do what you want to do, quite frankly. Um, I think I apply safety and make safety work in a very different way because I understand it within a risk context. Mm. And I talk about it within a risk context and I, maybe that's where I kind of go actually this is where we can take it forwards now is if we take that all my learning that I've taken do looking at risk more broadly and then go back and go okay let's really do safety in this space where we're talking about it as a risk that we manage and how do we do that then that's where we can really have an impact and I still think there's a load of impact safety can have that we haven't quite nailed we talk about the theories a lot um everybody's talking about what we can do and how we can do things in a different way or but actually the doing, the applied part of it, it's not all there yet. There's a mm. lot of people trying to apply different bits. So I feel like we haven't finished this part chapter yet. We need to finish this chapter before we move on to the next one. And I feel like I got to the end of the book and then went, hang on a minute. I didn't really read chapter one properly. Mm. Yeah, I think it's interesting. I think a lot of the time we're arguing just about words, but I think there is something in that. That, like you said you talk about it in a risk context like I talk to a lot of customers about like do you have a different just using this very kind of physical example like risk assessments is your risk assessment in safety different from your risk assessment in finance and investment and marketing for example well we don't have a risk assessment in finance and marketing yeah you do you just don't know you have one I think so we did one of my most interesting courses that we've developed sessions that we've run whatever you want to call it so we did this whole piece around leading risk um, which comes from safety but we wanted to talk about safety as one of the things you manage and you lead the decisions on if you're in a leadership role within the organization and we talked about I spent, spent a lot of time talking to Emma Sona LSE about this and how you don't give a conforming answer so with safety when people say is it okay to hurl or injure people? The answer is no. The conforming answer is no, we don't. And if you, but what you have to do is change the conversation slightly. So you're talking about what you are trying to achieve and what you'll risk to achieve it because you get a much richer conversation. And that's what people think about in the finance world. And that's what they think about maybe around marketing is they think, but what are we going to gain? What are we going to get out of this risk that we're taking? So we did a whole piece where we talked about what success looks like first. So what is it you're striving to get? What is it you want to achieve? And what are you willing to risk to get it? And we did this piece and I can't, I, I, I was on this course at LSE and I suddenly thought it was about, Emma talks a lot about psychology. Um, and I was thinking about the psychology of taking risks and how when we talk about it, you know, you've got a, a five by five matrix and you're talking about a ladder normally and people falling off a ladder and it doesn't really land with leadership teams. And I was thinking about, okay, so if we talk about what success looks like and we get you to really focus on what you're trying to achieve be it whatever a BAFTA millions of viewers critical acclaim whatever it is and then on the floor we put cards down that were like your risk impact so would you be happy with having a paper cut or would you be happy killing or injuring many people or the mental health impact on many people pick up the card you're willing to risk to get this outcome mm. and the conversation was amazing and is amazing and we did the same with money and we did the same with reputational impact. But it just, it's the same conversation we have and we think we're having, but as you have it a different way, the buy-in and the, the richness of the learning from that 
phenomenally different. It's called the cards on the floor exercise now at ITV. Mm. And the team do it a lot in training because you actually start to then talk about and you put it in a risk context. You don't put it in a this is what we're telling you is the wrong thing to do. We're saying, okay, what are you willing to do? And then having the conversation about, do you really think that's okay? And when you say you're only willing to have a paper cut, but actually what, what are you doing? And, and is that really reflective in the decisions you make and the risks people take? Yeah. That, Ruth, that exact example there, that's the first thing I ever remember you talking about. And it wasn't in February when we met. It was before then. I can't remember what it was. I went into some webinar and you were talking about that and not to you know kind of blow smoke up here but it was like that blew my mind when you said that I was like what an amazing exercise that must have been do you know what it works it's just and I genuinely think it's what makes our jobs so interesting and maybe that's what made me go but we haven't finished this yet we can do I think safety is actually quite far developed in the kind of in all the risk domains. Safety has actually got a lot of learning behind it. If you look at the other people who are trying to manage risk in organisations, so you look at data risk and personal data and how people are trying to manage that now. That's mm. a relatively new space people are going into. We've got years and years of learning and going down paths that we go, maybe that doesn't work here, trying different things writing procedures in offices that we put on shelves that nobody ever follows. I've done that. I've written a lovely procedure that I knew nobody was going to follow, yeah. but I thought we needed the procedure. So you kind of go, actually, we've got loads of learning. We need to take this and be proud of it and be the, the leaders, I guess, finish the story around safety so we can actually show how we make it work in different ways in different places and then take the other people with us, the other risk domains. Yeah. I think that's fascinating. You said I've, I can't remember if I did a podcast on it or not, or whether I thought of doing it, but I had this idea. I've, I've done so many now I've lost track of what I've done. Uh, but it's, um, it had this thought. I remember having this thought process of around exactly what you've just said, that data security from, it was around the GDPR time a few years ago when that came in and there was this big drive around it. And I remember being in an office and this lady walked through who was like the data security marshal she come for and she's like literally james james i'm like hiya yeah have you got your lanyard on hmm. yeah why and she's like good thank you chip kip uh, clipboard yeah. ticked it off roof roof have you uh have you got your lanyard on? lanyard on uh yeah cool thank you and you could tell she was like five people asked and i sat there and i went data security is making the exact same failings that we made a few mm-hmm. years ago. I wonder exactly, if they, they would listen to us and, and maybe learn from our mistakes. And I think, and this is where I think actually as a professional, maybe this is part of me wanting to dive back into doing safety is we're not very good at saying what we're good at and saying mm. what we've learned. And I think people tend to, I think, do genuinely think actually the COVID place, if you've been allowed to grab hold of it as a risk and safety team, and actually really support the business in managing it. It's been a moment where people have gone, ah, God, it's really valuable what you guys do. This is what you do. <laughs> this is what you spend your days doing. But I think there's other, there's loads of other risks. And if you look at things like mandatory training, you know, what have we learned in safety around training people and how you land messages and, and you know, how useful talks on the, those toolbox talks or conversations on the ground, pre-start chats, all that stuff. And then you've got other people doing mandatory training that maybe goes down the route we would have done when we had to do it as a compliance-based training piece and we would have thought about it 15 years ago whereas now we're kind of moving on and I just think it's really interesting to try and 
capture that and also influence people outside of our world to go actually do you know what we've learned so much mm. yeah yeah that that is, is so true and and i think that training piece is interesting now you say that it's got my brain going but it's like there's, there's a there's a great piece of research the hse did around manual handling training i don't know if you ever saw it but it basically the long and short of it is it kind of says manual handling training in its traditional sense is not as effective as what you think it is. You're, you're much better off focusing on, you know, the occupational health side, trying to incentivize better fitness, better strength. So giving people, you know, discounts on gym memberships or having a gym at your workplace and things like that. Obviously some of this stuff is completely out of uh, the financial scope of some businesses, but it was just trying to say, you can't just rely on, on just manual handling training. And I, and then it made me think about how I've kind of looked at manual handling training. And uh, I remember going uh, into a job and they had this manual handling training package that they delivered in. And the first four slides of like this 70 slide pack was all on the manual handling uh, regs. And then the next four slides were all on the health and safety at work act. And then the next four were all on the management of safety, uh, management of health and safety at work regulations. And I, and I literally was sitting there and I'm like, uh, I remember saying to my boss, can I change these? And she was like, yeah, it's all yours. Right. Control <laughs> no. all delete. Right. Do you know, it's the best thing you can do is because it's one of the things we've said a lot. We don't do any, we don't cover any law in any of the training now mm. that the team deliver at ITV because people aren't driven by the law. No, that's not what drives you. I mean, the nerds of us who actually quite enjoy knowing how it all fits together and what the legal requirements are. Yes, mm. fine. We should know that. And we need to know that. But actually, the reason you don't want people to get hurt isn't because the law says it. It's because you don't want people to get hurt. And it's the story. Exactly. exactly. And it's kind of like that. So what's that subconscious thing that it says to an employee as well? Like, mm. yeah. <laughs> Hi, Brief. You must go on this training because it's compliant. To, for us to yeah. be compliant or you must do this risk assessment for us to be compliant what they're saying is not wrong like that is one of the drivers for a company to do this stuff i don't deny that we need to do it and for a company you look at your, your risks and you go you know litigation is is a risk we, we want to manage that how can we manage that deliver some training okay boom there is an element of tick boxing we can't get away from but when you say to me as an employee i think Ruth, you must go on this training to be compliant. That tells me you don't really care about me, I think. No, and I think, I think the thing about tick boxing is that a lot of it, a lot of the tick boxing stuff we do and we think we need to do is because it's how it's been done over time and in other places. Actually, it takes quite a lot to step back and go, to what end are we doing this? Do we really need mm. to do this? Does the law really say we need to do this? Or is this how it's been built up over the last 10, 15 years that we should do this. And we're just doing what the other organizations are doing. And we're just assuming that's the right way of doing it. Actually going, hang on, what are we, what do we have to do liability wise? What do we, what, what do we want to do for our people? What are we trying to achieve? And actually having a look at it through that lens mm. and not just because other people have done it. I, God, we've gone down routes with, even what's the purpose of a risk assessment? Why do we record a risk assessment? We record a risk assessment because we need to, we legally need to record the significant findings. Then you go, what does record mean? And you can have really long mm. discussions or you can train people to fill out a form in a certain way because that's the way the form's always been filled out. Yeah. And so I think part of it on us and certainly looking to a more global organisation and also ITV operates globally is actually what are our expectations globally 
of what we need to do, what we do to look after our people and the people impacted by what we do. Because the law at a global level is complex and it's going to be challenging to navigate, but actually you need to get back to your core principles, which are what we're trying to do. Mm. And why do we do all this stuff, actually? Mm. Why are we here? We're not here just to get people to tick boxes and click through slide decks. Yeah, we're we're here to enable, like, I I quite like the way that I've just interviewed Dominic Cooper and we spoke about this before, but I quite like the way he talks about it. Like we're trying to have a safe production. It's not safety or production, it's safe production. So we're still trying to do the job. Like I also think we as a profession are trying to, yes, support it in being safe, but support people in understanding the risks they're taking. Mm. Because I think otherwise it becomes someone else's issue to make it safe. Actually, yeah. if you are doing something, you are responsible for all the risks associated with that. You take the credit, you also take the risks. And maybe our part of the role that's got missed off a bit is the bit that says, actually, these are the risks you're taking. Are you happy to accept them? Because yeah. everything won't always be completely 100%. Nobody ever gets hurt in any way, shape or form. Because mm. that's not the way the world works. And that's not the way businesses work either. And it's about where you're willing to take that to. I love that. When you did that wrist on the tiles, cards on the floor thing, like, was it interesting what cards people were picking up? What, what, were people oh, picking God, yeah. up lower <laughs> risk cards than, cards than what? actually happens like because i imagine in the, in the itv world like and I, I don't i don't know but i imagine in that kind of space where, like the news team having to go into war state or war-torn you know towns and whatever like i imagine fatality is quite a likely thing in some of these scenarios but i can't I imagine you... a director saying i accept that so that must so, be a real challenge and so that's part of that's part of the conversation. Actually, there is so much amazing planning that goes in when you deploy news, news reporters. And ITV doesn't do lots of breaking news, ITN does, but we okay. obviously get involved and we talk about it. That yeah. um, yes, there is still a residual risk that you talk about and you understand. And I actually think people really grasp that because it's very, you can feel it, can't you? If you're going into, you, you know they're going into a war zone, you, there'll mm. be live fire, there'll be stuff. And there's a load of planning. The risk assessments are all signed off by the, by the people who own that risk. So the producers, they're talked about, they're briefed, there's loads and loads of work that goes on. I think what's interesting is actually the conversations people have with each other. So the conversations people say, oh, well, in my content, I'd be happy with this. And someone else is feeling further down the scale. And actually mm. what we I found really interesting was having the people conversations, so the physical safety risk versus the financial risk conversations and how risk averse some people are financially. And then you go, so you're not willing to risk money, but you will risk this. Oh yeah, actually. And and you just have those richer conversations and actually the reputational impact conversations. Because I think a lot of what businesses try and do now is manage reputational impact of risks, Mm. be they financial. If you look at all the stuff that goes on outside of just safety, all the stuff, the big stories about businesses, um, a lot in the sustainability space, a lot mm. of it is about managing business. Yes, it's the right thing to do, but it's managing the impact and the reputation of the business. Mm. And so how people feel about the risk they're taking reputationally as well. And if that's okay or not okay. And do you want stories in the media? Do you not want stories in the media? And how dependent on the organization you work for, that will be a much bigger driver because some companies, the media will write about whatever happens. Yeah, yeah. So I think it's about, not having an answer, but having a conversation and people mm. actually having the proper conversation rather than thinking, I've got a safety person in, they've filled out a risk assessment, it's now safe. 
Yeah. And that's what I mm. never, ever want to be. Yeah. Yeah. That's, a, that's like a daily struggle, I think, for most safety professionals is that like, we, we're not here to do safety. Like, I, I, I think I actually wrote in that Irish ring that, you were, that we were talking about. I think it was in there, but it's, it's, we, we, we talk about it a lot on, on future leaders. Like, we need to get this message across. So we're not experts, we're facilitators. Yeah. I'm, I'm and you one... can't also be experts in all the technical specialisms under safety. Mm. And I think that's part of, as a safety professional, it's quite hard because you come in with a qualification, whatever it is, or maybe you don't have the qualification yet and you come in and people will come to the safety team about anything and everything. And if you work in a production making community, that anything and everything can genuinely be anything and everything from, we were talking about it because when I was leaving ITV, we were talking about the most amazing moments we've had there. And like from the, can I put my head in a box of bees? Let's ask the safety team Mm. through to, can I use this cage to dive with a shark because it's made out of perspex? Yeah. Is it okay? And you go, that, that's actually not my specialism, but I will help you find the people whose it is. Or I will I'll ring ask the box of bees team. <laughs> but you do. And you, I mean, some of them, you just go, that is, a, but actually what you're doing is you're helping navigate to the answer that actually, and what you're doing is you're having to understand what the risk is yeah. and how they can manage it. And then what the risk left over is, but being able to say, I don't necessarily know that answer. It's quite difficult to begin with because you kind of think you should. And the amount of times you were talking about, oh, I didn't do a module on that in my degree. <laughs> because you're like, How would I know the answer to that question? And yeah. I've loved doing that because I love the craziness of it all. Because you then go, well, I'm sure there's an answer out there somewhere. Thank God for Google is all I can say. Tell me about it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tell me about it. It, it, that, it's funny when you give those examples, I'm like, part of me is like oh there's some crazy examples you thought of but then i remind myself that you work at itv so i'm like actually i think these are real conversations box of bees cage of sharks etc yeah and just even stuff i got things like how do you i remember when they first started using dry ice in cooking you know they started using it to make ice cream like it was heston blumenthal's thing and and i was at itv all those years ago when it was a new (laughs) thing like Okay, how do we use dry ice safely for cooking? You're like, oh my god, okay, let's go for it. But you 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 hadn't planned it because you didn't you hadn't worked that out yet. And you just mm. you get to understand the risks, put in place the mitigations of the business and explain them as well, talk about them. Yeah. Was was it an evolution with was it like an evolution that ITV went through as well? Like were they when when you started there, like you say you've been there a hell of a long time. With, with, have yeah. you just kind of seen them evolve in the way they looked at safety well, when you got there was it different it, when I got there it was very different and um, we were joking actually so when I started so it was more it was just a merged company it merged Grenada and Carlton so you had this kind of and I'd, anyone who's worked in a company that's merged you have kind of different views mm. and people coming together and it's quite sticky challenging yeah. yes and I started as the health and safety manager for London and um, so I had two other people working with me and we were literally in a cupboard like there was it was a proper old-fashioned safety cupboard you kind of walked down the back route, route and all the way I've and had we were one on a cupboard <laughs> it was on the way to this the, this morning studio so we got to see people coming past but we were literally oh, in a cupboard cool. and loads of what and I think the last 16 years have literally been getting to begin with getting out on the floor getting talking to people understanding what they're trying to achieve not being seen as the police force actually reading through the 146 different procedures that we inherited <laughs> and going Actually, I don't even understand what this says. I don't know how anyone does, or I think you've photocopied this one from another organization because it doesn't actually make sense because those jobs don't mm. exist here. Um, mm. But all those things you start, and then you start to reframe it and you start to rethink about it. You redo the training, you buy people in. And then in the past six or seven years, 
the studios business, so the content, the big content making part of ITV has grown hugely and acquired a lot of companies, become a much bigger um, umbrella under which there are 55 different like indie production companies operating globally. And so you have a different model of how do we keep an oversight of those risks, but we can't be on the floor all the time. We're not, and kind of where safety space is in that and what line of defense you're in, which we've talked about a lot in terms of kind of the risk risk management system. But it's been, yes, it evolves. And I think it just helps if you have people who are really passionate about it in the middle, taking Mm -hmm. people with you. So doing that training, explaining to people, getting people engaged genuinely, I think, because yeah people see like we we've been part of it and they're by the side of them and really invested in all the stuff we've been doing personally because it matters and i think people really have felt that and seen it yeah which part so yes it's been a journey (laughs) (laughs) it's the short answer which which part of that kind of like was I'm, i'm just talking from my own experience like i found probably like maybe over half of the battle is when you're getting on the shop floor is is dealing with that perception that i'm not i'm not here to stop you like i'm actually here to help you and and like you know like the jet like the i can see it when i'm talking to people that are in operational roles where they stumble over their words because they realize they're talking to the safety guy where they're 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 like Oh, it could be anything like oh, we're trying to get this done. Uh, 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 you know, obviously, we're trying to get it done as safe as possible. And I'm like, you don't need to say that just because I'm here. Like, <laughs> I want to know. I, I don't. You don't have to put safe in every single other sentence. You know, just to make sure that you satisfy. <laughs> you know, I think it it is a challenge. I think the other thing has been, and a big focus for us has been moving the conversations around safety upstream. So actually, when you're having an idea or a thought or you're planning something, come and talk to us and we'll help you do it. And we'll help because by the time it's reality and you're in production, if you like, it's much harder to plan in safety because actually you plan it in really early on and the concepts Mm. allow you to plan. And I think because we've approached it like that, we've become part of the people who they go to. Go, We're thinking of doing this. What do you reckon? Any ideas, any thoughts, any and you become a colleague who has a different impact because you're part of this hopefully this planning and to be honest you there if it doesn't go to plan and you're there supporting people and helping them and helping navigate what you need to do and Mm. I think you know that bit about being in it with everybody is really really important so you're you you learn what it's like because it's hard making these things happen and I don't think I appreciated it. I, I wouldn't appreciate it fully unless I'd seen what it takes to make these things happen. Hours and hours of programming that comes out mm. on TVs or internet delivered <laughs> TV. Mm. It's phenomenal what it takes to make these things come to life. Yeah. And you want to be part of that. because That's why I want to be working in that sector because it's brilliant because mm. you spend your time trying to solve problems and make things happen. Yeah, yeah, cool. Do you think I, I had a great question then and I, I was so into what you were saying then, <laughs> I completely forgot it. What was I going to say? Oh, it's gone. It's gone. What? Oh, was it about a box of bees? I would probably. That, I mean, the <laughs> box of bees thing is still in there. Like, <laughs> how would I deal with that box of bees? Can I put my head in a box of bees? What is the risk? 
how do I put that into a five by five box? <laughs> or do you have a conversation? And also what mitigations do you put in place once you've decided you do want to put your head in the box? Please? Yeah, yeah. I've got it. It's come back. It's come Go back on. to me. I, I was going to say, not that I really don't want to get into the space of safety one and safety two, but I genuinely think one of the things that I think that this safety new view, safety two space has raised, which I think is very, very good. It's a one liner I heard a while ago. I can't remember who it was from was, I think it might have been Ron Gant. It's this whole issue around blame. Now, you know that that is like this, that, that's probably the big cause of all these arguments. And, and I don't think what Safety 2 World is saying, they don't blame. And again, I'm not going to get into this, but and I think you kind of touched on it without even mentioning new view, safety, blah, blah, blah. It's that when when you're talking to people and engaging with them and you're saying, like you, you like you were saying, the aim here is to get the production done. Like I'm here to try and work out how we can get it done with you on the front line, trying to work out how we can do it to be in that position. You can't also be the person that's going to blame them when it goes wrong. Like you have to be there with them when it goes wrong in, in a way. Like that's what yeah. I felt like you, you were kind of saying. So it's like, we're talking safety too, about even talking safety too, which brings me to my point in that I call a lot of this stuff, like safety is originally intended, like, good safety what we were supposed to do or do you feel like it's something that we picked up like through that process of learning like i feel like when i look at the the, the a cops and stuff in the hsc i feel like they're trying to tell us to do that anyway i think some of it is well it's also you you can read things through a different lens can't you so once yeah. you start thinking in a certain way you can interpret it in the way your mind True. naturally goes True. i i do i I think it's not necessarily safety. It's just the way the world has moved. If you look at psychological safety, there isn't a safety discipline. It's looking at how you manage organizations and get the best out of them. Mm. And all the Amy Edmondson stuff. So blame is such a toxic thing within an organization, be it safety or anything else. That idea of blame and people then not speaking up. It's not just safety. It's everything. It's how you run a successful organization. And I think that's what really interests me about kind of the movements in safety is a lot of them reflect wider movements. So not just a change in safety, it's changing the way organizations are run. So if you look at stuff like constant feedback up and down the organization, that's probably not something 20, 25 years ago, people would have had as much as on the front and thought was so important that the very people who want the hierarchy shouldn't matter as much for feedback mm. because everybody has really important information that you should galvanize to make yeah. an organization successful. So I think, I think the way safety is going actually reflects a lot of the thinking around successful organizations, not just successful safety. I love that. Because actually, go on. Go on. <laughs> no, that was, that was my, that's because I'm, I love that stuff and I think it's really interesting. I was going to say, all I was going to say is that right there is a soundbite. That, that bit you've just said is getting cut up and made into a little short video, 100%. That was beautiful. Well said. I think that's kind you, of what we need to hear more of. It is. And if you look at, and that's where I, you know, and I talk briefly about why Netflix appeals and which around the culture at Netflix. And if anyone hasn't seen it, it's worth looking at because what it does as a culture is a lot of the stuff and the bits that safety whether you call it new view or you can safety differently or whatever you where safety is moving is important so the one of their key beliefs context not control take that statement and apply it to safety mm. uh, and you've got everything everybody's talking about at the moment and if you take the 
freedom and responsibility that's to me that's ownership of risk that's you own them you mm. have responsibility for them but you also have freedom to make decisions but everybody needs to be engaged in that so i think you know for me it's the it's one part of a whole mm. yeah i love that when you got i talk i, I I've, I've spoken about accountability so many times and i actually got turned down from a job right because of my stance on accountability <laughs> The, the big thing though i'm not going to mention who they are um but, <laughs> <laughs> tell me later <laughs> yeah yeah um they they basically when when i was looking for the job and, and i got approached for the job and blah 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 it was the, the big thing they want to do james is they want to drive accountability down from the top and i was like okay i've heard that hundreds of times but what does that actually mean for them like what are they trying to do and anyway it came up in the interview second interview um and they were like we want to drive accountability down from the top and i was like yeah i've heard i've heard do you want to do that how, how do you think you should do that and, and i went down the, the route that you've just kind of which i love that freedom and responsibility i think that's look that and there for me yeah. is a big thing and so and i said to them like in this interview similarly to what you've just said like you don't you don't make someone accountable by telling them to be accountable like hold yourself responsible like what you do is you involve them in it and and yeah. you you make they they are part of making that decision and a lot of the time i think you know if you think back we used to call it pride in our work that that's accountability mm -hmm. taking pride in your work is accountability now we would go oh we, we don't take pride in our work anymore no it's not like that the decisions of that pride is taken away from us like mm -hmm. w w we've got scopes in our work that are so tight now. Like, you know, there's probably numerous listeners to this podcast probably had some what massive FM company or something. And they've, they've, raised, they've raised a job to come and fix a door. And they've just sent, because of their procedures, they've just sent a painter to come and fix a door. And that painter doesn't do it. And um, because he's a painter, he's not a joiner or, or a door repairman or whatever. And it's not his fault. He's the wrong no. person for the job, but the scope, the procedures, et cetera, are so rigid. They've eliminated pride for the work, but he's also got this goal conflict and that he needs to do something when he gets there. So he tries to fix that door as best as he can, right? And fails because he's a painter, not a joiner. And then yep. we blame that person for doing a crappy job. And I just think uh, we, we, we're talking about accountability, but actually what we need to kind of talk about maybe is autonomy. Um, and then once we get some autonomy, accountability will come. People choose to be accountable. They're not made to be accountable. That, that's how I kind of look at it. The, the guy said, I disagree with you, James, on that point. I think I think we need to make people accountable. And I said, like, well, that's your that's your prerogative to disagree with me. Surprise, surprise. About 24 hours later, I got an email <laughs> saying you have not been <laughs> successful. <laughs> Do you know what? I think it's really interesting, isn't it? I think about all the all the joyous roles and responsibilities documents we've had to draft every time. Because you do need to be clear what people's responsibilities are and what their roles yeah, are. Yeah. But in doing that, you need to really think about where it should sit and who should be responsible and what that means and how you articulate that. And I think a lot of what organisations feel more comfortable with is if you've got it really nailed down and you know, but actually it doesn't matter what you've got nailed down. It matters what you've communicated to people and what people understand exactly. and what all the processes are that support that thought that you are, it is your world to make a decision and you are able to make a decision. You don't have to rigidly follow whatever it is if you feel it's wrong. Mm. And so that's where I go back to actually safety is one thing within a whole organisation that needs to be managed. And actually a lot of the 
the things that we're looking at now are the things that organizationally need to change to make organizations more successful because it's probably gone down a route that is too rigid in a lot of places and I think that's probably one I mean I clearly love being in the sector I'm in I love the space I'm in I love the creativity but I also love the fact that there is a real sense of there is a real sense of pride and ownership people making content love making content they just they've got such a passion for it up and down wherever you go people really care and people really want it to be amazing and people to enjoy it or to learn or whatever it is so I think that helps because it's a it's an easy one to win message to win if people Mm. really care about what they do the other terms we use a lot and we start to use are ownership and oversight because responsibility accountability you spend you spend more time defining the term than Mm. having the conversation Mm. and we looked at um across this business that we have where you have the itv where you kind of needed to know someone owns it so they are accountable if you like or responsible whichever but at the same time you need to have a layer above that knows what's going on the big stuff's flagged to understands what risks are being taken every day and we looked at where the where there's this line between ownership and oversight and Mm. that was easier to explain to the business than responsibility accountability anything else because actually Mm. it was you own you because we talk about you own the risks yeah yeah and it's kind of more normal language for people isn't it yeah that is true I, i remember using the phrase responsible person in in a framework and I spent more time explaining that, well, actually, in the eyes of the law, the real responsible person is the CEO, not you. Mm-hmm. This is just a term we're using to to say you're responsible on a day-to-day basis to do your job. And, <laughs> and when I think back on it, I think it, the problem wasn't the process, because once I explained it, they got it. It was the word that we used that was scary. Yeah. Oh, I'm a responsible person. That's a legal term, isn't it? And then, and that just, you know, got their back up. And I think, I think exactly, exactly what you said there. I think sometimes we spend so much time explaining this stuff that we're just not even talking about what it actually is. Mm-hmm. And, and I think as well, like when, when the, you get the point of what you said there, like companies want this stuff nailed down. They want it written down, nailed down, so they can say that that's where our confidence is. Like when you see something on the news and you know, I always kind of use a Grenfell example from when I was in housing. Like the aim for me was on a, on the assurance. The aim is to obviously never have, if you work in housing, never have that fire again. But from an assurance point of view, a corporate point of view, the aim is that my CEO wakes up and turns the news on and there's a fire like that. And he knows he's, you know, pretty confident that that's not his, not his property because he's got that level of assurance. The problem is when we get that, that assurance from just our paperwork, I feel, and that paperwork doesn't reflect reality nine times out of 10 because we didn't have that flexibility to, to deal with the complex environment that is day-to-day work. It, it lures us into a full sense of security in a way. Yeah, I think there's reality. a massive issue with overassurance and mm. actually knowing what assurance is there for. So I, I spent a lot of time kind of looking at how we report stuff up to up, up within the organisation and just kind of overall reporting on what's going on where and where the flags are and all that stuff. Actually, really, what you want to be reporting is you want to give information so people ask the right questions. That's really what your board reports are for or your executive reports. So you give them enough information that go, hang on a minute, you know, am I worried about this? Am I not? Or what are we doing around here? There looks like there's a gap. 
actually what you don't want to be there to do I don't feel and this I don't feel this should be my role is to say everything's okay all the time everywhere Mm. because actually I think that's where it's been driven to it's all the green dashboards isn't it yeah and I heard a great term and I can't remember who said it and it was I think it was one of the HC um watermelon reporters I loved that I thought I knew you were gonna say that because it got because I was like that's exactly what and actually we are doing ourselves an injustice if we're not saying helping the business going, do you know what, I see all of this. These are the bits that I, and, and people say, you should tell people what you stay awake at night worrying about. But then how many people actually put that into their yeah. reporting protocols and everything else? And how many people go to their safety team and go, do you know what, whatever numbers we've got in systems and stuff, what, what are you, what do you think is going to be, the, what are you worried about? What do you feel uncomfortable about? Mm-hmm. And let's talk about that because actually you guys know what to be worried about or you know where it's good. Yeah. Yeah, I knew you were going to say that watermelon. I, I loved I, that. <laughs> I remember sitting in that room, and I to this day cannot remember who said it either. I, like, and I remember Stuart Hughes as well from uh, the Vice President Irish. He um, he said the same, and that he loves it, and he says it all the time as well. And <laughs> I'm sure if I remember rightly, he can't remember who said it either. I feel like it never happened. It's kind of um, that the Mandela effect. You know, have you ever heard of that? Do you know it might have been? I know, I know, definitely did happen. It definitely did happen. I'm not sure, you know. I'm not sure because <laughs> I can't find anyone that rem- that everyone remembers that being said, but no one remembers who said. Do you know, it. whoever was doing that presentation must be really annoyed because yeah. you want it to be coined as <laughs> I remember where. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. I'd be pissed if I'd said something like yeah. that, and everyone's talking about it, and I'm like, "That was me. That was me." And they're like, yeah. "No, I don't think it was you." <laughs> oh, yeah, it was. <laughs> Yeah, that was such a good one-liner. I've nicked it and used it every day. And every time I say it, there's somebody in the room or in the call that goes, that's really good. And I'm like, I know. It's a good one, isn't it? Yeah. And actually, and, and it's the green the green that's red underneath. And it's so much of what compliance-driven reporting gives you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, my, 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 an old boss of mine who I highly regard, he, um, he used to say, you know, we suffer from good news reporting. Um, mm-hmm. you know we force ourselves to you know only hear good news and sometimes I think that's a misconception like I feel like sometimes you've got like the CEO right and then you've got the board and I, or, 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 or it may not be the board it might be middle management but somebody at some point seems to have this kind of like cohesive kind of collective um, this kind of collective understanding that the board don't want to hear bad news or the CEO doesn't want to hear bad news so we're like well, okay let's try and fix that before before we go to them or, or something like that and, and I get the kind of you know don't, I say do you know don't just come to me with problems come to me with solutions I don't mean don't bring problems to me I mean come to me with a problem and an idea and then we'll see if we can elaborate on that um that that's what i mean but i think a lot of the time i sit there and i think you know what if i rang the ceo and said what do we do about this i reckon they'd just turn around and go i didn't even know we had that here's a checkbook get it sorted and i think oh there's the bit that is actually what we organizations take risks every day to achieve their objectives be they risks whatever actually I think we aren't doing what we need to be doing is reflecting the risks that are being taken in pursuit of whatever goals they are. Mm. And actually we haven't really thought about it like that. We've thought we're in the place where we report on what is being controlled rather than what risks are being taken. So Mm. then flip it on its head and say, how do I explain what risks are being taken in pursuit of our goals and our objectives? 
it's a very different I'm write report. That, that was good. <laughs> it's got a notebook out as well. I, I think it's really, I think, and it's really interesting when you start to challenge yourself to say, how do I tell someone? How do I explain within kind of a context that they'll get quickly? Because you need to be to the point very yeah. fast what risks are being taken in pursuit of our organisational goals and what risks with people were being taken rather than just saying it's all okay or yeah. I know the solution because often we don't know the solution and often what we're doing carries risk. Mm. Oh, I love that. I'm, I'm full on writing that down and pursuing that. <laughs> I'm like, that is spot on because I find I find that a lot of the times it's it's not what we're saying it's how we say it like I, I think I, again I, I keep coming back to the safety two stuff but one of one of the things that I think Eric says and I understand his point but he, he talks about efficiency and foreignness trade-off the, mm-hmm. the safety sits in the foreignness side and I think he may I, I, I'm not saying he's wrong like don't don't I, I agree and understand what he's saying the problem is what what I think that communicates to the layman, the operations directors, the CEOs, they want efficiency. They really yes. want efficiency because the lack of efficiency costs them money. Uh, so I'm like, and I'll put this to Todd Conklin. Uh, he asked me my definition of safety. And I said, I think safety is efficiency. And that was it. He didn't let me finish. He destroyed me, throws <laughs> uh, loads of papers at me that tell me why I'm wrong, etc. And it was it was good fun. It was a good laugh. But I still stand by it because I think efficiency is a word that people understand. And I think for me, what efficiency is is I look at efficiency from a from a more holistic point of view, maybe, and maybe my definition of, of holistic, um, sorry, of efficiency is different. But I think it's inefficient to have an accident from a business perspective it's inefficient for us to have lost time for us to damage property for us to not maintain our car you know, for example stuff like that see i i think the conversation and hats off to all the very intelligent academics who work in this space because i'm not an academic i'm an applied person mm-hmm. but i would say it's you know i talked about bringing safety upstream so yeah. the further upstream safety gets the less impact it has on operational delivery and sometimes it makes operational delivery more effective because actually you can plan it in so you plan a you plan the activity in a way that actually is more effective than you thought before you involved the safety people because they've got some great ideas about how to deliver quickly effectively Mm. on time and also plan in safety and that brings I suppose putting the thoroughness for safety upstream (laughs) then makes you more efficient downstream because yeah, as you're exactly. doing it, it becomes more efficient. So I think part of it is, and I absolutely, the relationship between thoroughness and efficiency, when you're doing, an, when you're actually on the sharp end, delivering an activity, often doing the safety protocols and parts of it take time and effort and that costs money. And therefore it does impact efficiency on delivery of that task, individual task. And actually you can probably do it many 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 times and not end up with the lost time incident or anything like that so maybe actually you know if you look at it in that tiny space of work Mm. at the moment it's being done but I think it plays out into a much broader conversation when you don't just talk about the moments that work are done you talk about the planning that goes into that work and all the activity that comes beforehand because if you do that well and that in a way that involves the right people at the right time and plans it well then the work becomes 
to your, use your word, the efficient word, or another word that I could think of, which I can't think of at the moment, that wouldn't get me into trouble with all these great thinkers. <laughs> <laughs> but I think I think that is the, the big challenge we've got here with all that stuff. It, it, it's, I think it's Adam Johns that said this to me, but like words create worlds. Uh, and then when me and me and Todd were, for lack of a better word, debating or arguing about this efficiency word, Todd Todd nailed it in one way. He said. Um, you know, this is a great example of how words really only exist in our own heads. Mm. We've all got different example, uh, different explanations of, of each individual words. Um, and we get all stuck in on this and you go, actually, if you think, if you go to global organisations, we have to have words that work across borders, across yeah. the world, in different spaces. So actually, we need to think more about what we mean by our words than what the words themselves are. So actually explaining the, the context for the word, if you like, is actually more important than the word we hang that context off. Yeah. Because you might use a different word. There may not be a word in a culture that is the same word that we would use. And you may Google Translate it and it comes off as something completely different. Mm. So actually the context for the word is so much more important than the word we hang it off. Yeah, that that is a great example that kind of lost, lost in translation stuff. There's a documentary actually on Netflix. Um, <laughs> where they um it's about a cycling team i can't remember the movie the movie cycling team uh and, and they followed them and, and all that stuff and and i was listening to a podcast where they were talking about it and they said oh there's some stuff that uh he said i'm being pedantic but there's some stuff that, that, that annoyed me a little bit like the translation is, is a bit off and i was like where's he going with this and he said you know they called it a scoreboard when they translated from i think this uh colombian um some of them and when they anyway when they translated it to english it's a scoreboard but in cycling it's not a scoreboard it's a leaderboard and, mm -hmm. and i was just like well, that's such a simple thing but actually if you if you were talking about something quite in my world and our world from a safety point of view that could be something huge mm -hmm. that's completely different scoreboard and leaderboard are two completely different things yeah and if we were talking in a safety context that's huge and, and that's it so we get tied up in on semantics and words and i get that the, the discussions around what they mean are very interesting but actually they're mm. much more interested in the word itself mm. yeah definitely like i don't know how many hours i've lost in my life in phone calls where, where somebody's gone yeah but how do we define safety and then i'm like <laughs> oh do we have to talk about this and then 10 minutes later i'm i'm full-on in that debate and like, I can't back away from it. And then like four hours later, I'm still there and we're still arguing about it. And they're good conversations. Don't get me wrong. They are, I love them, but you're right in that. I just think, do you know what? The people I'm trying to help really don't give a crap on how we define safety because we've just proved in this conversation that if I asked them to define safety, it would be completely different to how I would as well. And actually, it might be different in different cultures because it will yeah. be because it will mean different things in different cultures. Mm. I, I genuinely I really, you know, I'm all for the safety is the presence of capacity piece, because I think it's really important that we get to a point where safety is seen as a positive, mm. not just stopping. A and I, I, do you know what? However, we decide to articulate that. I think it's a really important part of how we actually attract people to do this as a profession. Yeah, that it's exactly. not seen as a negative piece that you just have to do to tick boxes. It's funny though, isn't it? Like 
if you think of the word safe, that's a very positive word, really, isn't it? Like if you just say, you say to your kids, like, oh, we're nice and safe and sound. You know, I feel nice and safe at home. I can relax when I'm at home because I'm nice and safe. You know, the doors are locked. You know, people strive to be safe in their normal day life, like daily lives. But the second we get into work, safety is this thing that's the bane of our lives. Like, when did that happen? Like what? Where did we go? I completely wrong? and actually, that's the bit. Did safety go mad? Well, something went mad for it to be. And I was talking to Anna Keane, and we were just talking about um, purpose professions. I love that term because okay. this is a purpose. It's about people. So you have environmental, you have sustainability, you have people. You have a purpose to your profession. The purpose to this profession is about people, and. Mm either keeping them safe or whatever you want to talk about, making businesses aware of the risk they're taking, what managing the risk to people, to individuals. Actually, that seems to me to be quite appealing generally. Mm. But then you get to this point where it's become a comply. I think it moved to being more of a compliance function or a we have the right answers, you have the wrong answers. Mm. I certainly don't have the right answers. I can help people think things through and manage them, but I don't have all the right answers. And I guess... I'm I'm similarly perplexed because for me, what could be more interesting? Yeah, people are fascinating, yeah, exactly. and what we're trying to do is ensure that we are managing the risk to people through what we do. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Some of the the most fascinating. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like I probably changed my perspective on safety when I started doing this podcast, maybe a few months before, when I got the insight into this this new world of behavior-based safety and psychology and hop and all this sort of stuff. And it starts to, I feel, Jesus Christ, no one's talking about the health and safety at work act. This is amazing. <laughs> I know it felt liberating. Didn't it? I was saying, so I remember, and it was an Irish conference in, I can't remember what year it was about seven, eight years ago. Yeah. Kevin Furness spoke, who was there oh, yeah. just, but actually he, he, and he said some stuff that just really impacted. And it was more about at that point in time, it was about how, you get people to pay attention to safety. Have, you know, the objective of the business is to be successful. Mm. It's safety isn't their first priority in mm. nearly every case. Actually, it's to be successful and safety is one of the things you manage within that framework. Mm. And it started me thinking, and then I got to see kind of other people speak and John Green had a big impact. And, and because I think it enabled me to start thinking differently. Mm. And by thinking differently, I was then able to go, okay, hang on a minute. Why do we do all this stuff? What are yeah. we, what, why am I writing this? management system to make sure that every version what why don't we deliver this in a way that's better for our business mm. why don't we think about our people and how they want us to talk to them rather yeah. than talking to them the way i'm told everybody else does yeah and actually and then the stuff we did with so the psychology of risk in organizations is really interesting when you start mm. looking at financial risk if you look at you know take the stuff that happened in the finance sector before the crash look at all that happened with the traders everything else it's so akin to the thinking we have around safety mm. it's so why do people make those decisions why do they choose to go after those goals that are seen as massively risky afterwards yeah. just really it's such an interesting area to be in yeah it is i'm trying to i think we um on the on the future leader steering group you're trying to kind of communicate that out in that you know we, we want to be talking to young people that are that are potentially ready to join uh, this career but don't even know what this career is and and we were kind of talking about what level uh what age group do we want to target and i said well you know i'd like to target kids like proper 
kids at a young age and, and show them what risk and safety really is. I did a careers day at a local school and they were like young, I think they were like 12, 13. We did this careers day. They're, they're, I think they're just going on to GCSEs at that age. I'm not sure. Anyway, um, and we were talking about safety and these kids got it, man. They really got it. And they, they just absolutely nailed this stuff down. And, and I remember saying, you could tell, I knew, I knew what kid this, this kind of, what kind of kid this was. He was the, you know, ballsy kind of like loud, <laughs> loud mouth, little bully kind of kid. Like, but I got on with him, uh, which is ironic because when I was in school, I probably would have avoided somebody. Like uh, yeah. But I got on with him and, and I was talking to him. I was like, what, what do you think about safety? And he, and we were talking away and he said, he said, oh, it gave me this example and I use it all the time. He went, oh, me and my, me and my mum, we go and stay in this caravan sometimes. And, and it always makes me laugh when I go in this caravan and there's this sign saying, warning, slippery when wet. And I always go and the memory looked at the teacher and he went, no shit, like really quickly because he wasn't allowed to swear. <laughs> and, the, and the teacher just kind of raised his eyebrows a bit. And I was just like, but that's exactly it, isn't it? Like, yeah. you, you know that slippy, don't you? And he was like, yeah, yeah. And I was like, so why do I need to tell you? And he went, you don't. And I was like, exactly. And that's why we need more people like you to come into this industry and tell us, you know, hang on a minute, this doesn't work. These kids get it. So anyway, we're talking about target at that age, but that's a very difficult age for, I understand the group like Irish to, to get into and get into like lower education schools. So, so we're not really at that point yet, but um, you know, we are at the point where potentially we could talk to university students and they said, well, what, what kind of students do you want? We just want to talk to people doing a health and safety degree. And I'm like, nah, I don't want to talk to them. They've already picked the career because they're doing a degree. They've, they've already selected in. Yeah. I don't care about them people. I talk to them when they get a job and they'll help them, whatever. Yeah. What, who I want to talk to is people doing engineering degrees, people doing psychology degrees, people yes, doing okay. sociology degrees, people doing biology, biology uh, occupational health any number of these degrees that have an aspect in what we do because our scope in a role is so wide that I'm, i know what you're you're thinking of doing going into psychology and you, you maybe you're thinking of being a counselor but if that doesn't work out for you we could really do with some more people like you coming into our career and this is what it looks like i do think the getting out there and talking and i think secondary schools do you know what it won't be long before they're all working and actually i think mm. that bit about really increasing diversity as well is yeah, so important definitely. and diversity of thought diversity of background you know that's so important and really you need time to make a big change for that and mm. that big change is going to come I think because people you're going to spark an interest and people are going to go wow that's what you actually do every day I never knew there were people like you like whenever when I talk to people about what I do they kind of can't believe those jobs even exist in the whole world because yeah, yeah. what you don't know you don't know do you you don't exactly. know all the until you get into an organization you'd have no idea of the jobs it takes to get things over the line yeah and the jobs in the middle as well completely yeah. random that you never thought of so I think there's a big I think yes you can persuade people doing other subjects but I do think there's a big responsibility to actually just talk more with more people about what it is we do because we talk to each other about what we do, but we're not. Yeah. And I'm not great at it. I've said I'll go and talk. Like my kids are quite good at talking about what I do, because I get cool points for the companies I work for. I, I like I'm definitely the coolest parent for the companies I work for, because we yeah. make TV. Yeah, TV and TV. content is still. Yeah, true. When did somebody who's a health and safety professional get cool points from their kid? Wow. 
exactly. There you go. You see, I was like, oh well, and that, there you go. It's the place to be. I think you should just retire now, Ruth, because you can't get any better than that. <laughs> cool point. I mean, yeah, they're ten and seven, so when it gets to fifteen, I might be off the agenda. Is cool. Ooh, yeah, that's a risky age. That yeah. yeah. Cool's disappeared at that point. Yeah. Wow. What there's one last thing I, I, I'd like to put to you when you were talking about. Um, Netflix and that what attracted you is that, that kind of culture piece when I think about culture there are so many podcasts YouTube channels vlogs etc that talk about culture now you could look at I can't remember what they're called I think it's an animal there, there's like a, um, a social media marketing company the branding is all orange I can't remember what they're called for the life of me I think it's giraffe no that's a restaurant anyway that's not to the point they, they, <laughs> they, they do this vlog all the time and they talk about culture so much and they talk about the stuff that I talk about in culture but they're not safety professionals they're they're marketing professionals and so on and so forth right then you've got um there's another social media company they run a podcast called social minds I can't remember what they're called either their ceo's got a podcast called diary of a ceo like there's there's all these companies talking about culture you've got netflix setting up you know they've got their framework of culture and stuff like that but like i mean what safety mentioned culture for the first time after abavan i think which was what i don't know 60s maybe before i can't remember Mm -hmm. um so we've been talking about it for all this time and and for me, this is why I call this this is why kind of we call this podcast rebranded safety because we've been talking about this all the time. We kind of missed the boat. We people should be talking to us. We've been talking about culture since I've around. <laughs> people should be coming to us and going, "Can you teach us about culture?" But they're not because we. We've and that's the point, really, isn't it? Back to the we kind of done a cycle of conversation because you're back to the beginning, which is actually we've learned a lot and we know a lot, and mm. yet we're still in this kind of place where. So, I. The organizational culture is broader and bigger than the safety culture, which is one part of it, but it's they're intrinsically linked. They're one and the same thing. The organizational culture becomes the safety culture mm. and the risk culture and that and I think maybe the safety maybe part of it was, and this is off the top of my head, so nobody bat my head off for saying this. <laughs> maybe by making safety culture something different and standalone that you measured it had less impact because you started talking about just the safety culture rather than the organizational culture. And then it becomes in a box of its own and this thing that is just about safety. Whereas all the, the safety, for me, everything that is safety culture is organizational culture. Mm. So all the important stuff that actually feeds an organization that I want to work in is within the organizational culture, which then impacts the safety culture. And there's some nuances probably that make it more, safety specific but actually mm. pro- I, I can't think of any that don't roll up into the overall culture of the organization yeah I, I kind of I use pizza to describe my analogy of culture because well I just love pizza um, but if you imagine you've ordered yourself a Domino's right and the Domino's turns you've got yourself a nice large pizza whatever you can the type of pizza doesn't matter I'm I'm, yeah. veg, I'm veggie so I'm going to stick with good old margarita so get your old margarita pizza right and the guy's gone through with his roller yeah and some yeah. slices are bigger than the other some slices are the little slices some slices are the big slices that whole pizza is the organizational culture yeah now if you got that pizza and there was a slice missing you'd be pissed off aren't you You're gonna ring dominoes you'll be like i'm missing a slice blah 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 your, your delivery man's obviously had a bit of a nibble on the way here 
it's not a full it's not a full pizza so you don't want that pizza so when you kind of I, I remember starting at a company and and they had pretty good culture from a large part of it from an organizational point of view there were some regional pockets like little communities as you went around the national cultures so i think that's a slice of the picture like re- regional cultures like regional communities that's a mm-hmm. slice and you've got safety culture that's a slice it slides into that organizational pie and and i think you have to pull sometimes you know work out what slices are cool what slices are fine how do we kind of keep the, those slices in a good condition how do but what slices do we need to just pull out focus on work on see, oh, back I, in? see i would have a different my slices would be different than yours safety Ooh, wouldn't be on. a slice Ooh, okay. so i think so if i take one of the things i'm really interested in and i'm interested to kind of a geeky level is psychological safety yeah. So the ability to work and t- speak up, all that stuff that's really good. Now that is part, part good psychological safety is part of good organizational culture that mm-hmm. impacts safety, physical safety or mental health, whatever you yeah. like. Yeah. The slice is psychological safety. Safety is a part of that for me. There is a slice that is around, um, if you like, uh, the way we communicate with each other, the way we talk to each other every day, the way we, we refer okay. to people, maybe yeah. there's a slice that's around procedures are we a company that has loads and loads of procedures that you have to follow one to a hundred steps to do to file an expenses claim? Or are we a company that says, you know, we're quite free about this. You think Mm -hmm. it was worth spending. You can tell me why that's fine. And all those slices make up your organizational culture and safety is a little bit of every slice that then Mm -hmm. you pull together rather than pulling safety culture out as a separate piece. Yeah. I quite like that actually. And then you can have a big piece of pizza. That's lots of different parts. That's your safety pizza. And then you'll have your, Whatever other part, because did you think anyone's going to say, and they probably will now, <laughs> this is probably done, you have a data culture. Mm, that's a very you... good way of putting it, yeah. Hmm. Oh, that's got my brain going. There you go. Now I'm, I'm on the I need a pizza. <laughs> wow. I didn't think of it like that. When you just said that data pizza, that is mind-blowing, actually. I've been using that example for years, and you've just ruined it. I'm so sorry. End, end of podcast. <laughs> who, who invited this woman on? <laughs> who goes off on little tangents? Who yeah. takes, I always say to my, the people I work with a lot, and I get called, I get called a hurricane at times at work because I go in <laughs> and have all these new ideas and they go, Ruth, calm down. And the other, they, they just, I heard a saying on the radio ages ago, it was one of the governments that were in, they said they take their thoughts for a walk in public. I do that a lot. I take my thoughts for a walk in public. And then I go, okay, did I? And it's when you think, I'm very happy to discuss it. Don't hold me to account for this, but this is where my <laughs> brain's going now. It might come back the other way, but that's where it's going now. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm a bit like that, to be fair. Like my thoughts are very dynamic. Like I start the conversation and then by the end of that conversation, I've completely changed track of where I'm going. I think we should do this. Blah, 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 blah. I'm actually thinking about maybe we should do it like this. And then by the end of the time, you're like, well, this is completely different to where we started, but but it's better. We're in a better yes. place. So that's good. I've learned a lot about articulating a vision, which is quite mm. important. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think we come back to that language piece is like, you know, how do you articulate your vision? So my vision is like, yeah, like you're saying, like good, good psychological safety, good culture that that delivers you know a safe a safe environment safe production whatever we want to call it but what does that mean to the people i'm trying to communicate it out to and what yeah are their and priorities? how 
how do I engage with them? How do they want to be talked to? Mm. All those things. We sat down a few years ago and talked about what we, our values as a team. And we came up with empower, innovate and collaborate. And they're the three things that as a team in the center of the business, we wanted to be known for and we would be known for and everything we did and we did, we do and they will carry on doing brilliantly because they're an incredible team yeah will be underpinned by those values and what a great place to be a team that's trying to deliver mm. on that every day empower innovate and what what was your point collaborate collaborate i'm, I'm stealing that as well and, and one of the team worked out if you do innovate collaborate empower it spells ice and then you can use the little ice ice baby theme tune if you want to on your oh, podcasts oh we're there <laughs> we are so there that is happening do i have to put sponsored by itv on it <laughs> yeah definitely i'll have left but i do think and actually that was a team that's not me telling them that's us working together because Mm. actually that's the thing you are a sum of your parts as a team in the organization and it's an amazing place to be when you're all going you're all trying to achieve the same thing mm. when when you kind of i will let you go in a bit maybe i might not actually it depends <laughs> i have to go and cook lunch <laughs> what what when you go to like you're talking about the kind of really interested in the, the, the way that kind of netflix talk about culture and that you know it's quite positive like what do you kind of maybe you don't want to explain it in this sense but like i was gonna say what do you expect to see feel free not to say that because you might be like shit i don't want to say that and then go to netflix and it's not that but like the question i suppose is what what does a good culture actually look like i think it allows everybody this part of this is allowing everybody to be themselves and bring their best their best self into whatever activities you're doing so Mm. part of that is for me actually thinking about not having loads and loads of procedures for the sake of procedures how how do we enable people to do what they're trying to do and be part of the end goal but also that for me the being able to everybody's opinion be valid everybody feel able to speak up and listen to the farming for dissent all those things that are so so important that Mm. actually but you need really ingrained you need them to be so much more than just lip service and i also love their constant feedback loop the fact Mm. that that is and even what i'm every dealing i've had with them it's been so clear it's not just a statement it's it's part of the dna of that organization culture yeah. and i just um i it's going to be really interesting because we'll wait and see and yeah. <laughs> i genuinely think that if anyone's interested it is worth and i've read their culture memo long before i saw this job advertised and long before i've joined yeah. but it just it set my brain thinking because so much of it is similar to the stuff that those who want to look at how safety's done for the next tranche of safety whatever you want Mm. to call it actually so much of it is interlinked with all the changes in culture Mm. that everyone big organizations are going to they've become less hierarchical yeah yeah i like that okay one last question best celebrity that you've met from working in the creative industry go do you know what okay i'm gonna give you two because one was at the national theater in my first job so i was only at national theater for a year and i walked into the postman and alan rickman was posting a letter and he was talking to the person in the post room and he had that voice that I've never been starstruck since. Oh. It was quite good that I was starstruck so early on because I was like, oh my God. And the second one I think was 
So I'm a bit of a Bon Jovi fan from many, many years ago. Mm. And they were on a show on ITV and I got down, went down to the studio because you've got to be seen on the floor sometimes and got to see them rehearse <laughs> just in front of yeah. the... I'm just here to do a behaviour composition. <laughs> Nothing but, to do with Bon Jovi. <laughs> do, do you know what's amazing is those moments you go, it is actually incredible, but watching shows be pulled together and what it takes to make the smallest and the biggest content you would never believe it until you see and the passion people have for it in that in the sector mm. the way they've come honestly the way they've navigated covid the creativity the stuff they did to get cameras into people's homes to get actors self-filming because they just they have a passion for their that what they're doing it's it's something you do because you really believe in your art form if you like because yeah. you believe in what you're trying to create yeah yeah I, I love it i think i don't know if it was on itv or what but jamie oliver did like a whole series off his phone or something like that <laughs> the thing is you never normally get that now everybody's getting a bit bored yeah it? And it is. Like, wow well that's amazing it is and, and you saw that and part of our role within that was to enable that creativity so to give them the the framework they can work within so to go okay you need to think about this this and this these are the things that we know we can't do these are the things we think we could do this is the space you can now think here's your sandpit go and play in it we're going to build the barriers are moving in because we've got covid so mm -hmm. there are certain barriers at the edge of the sandpit we've moved in mm -hmm. now you guys because you're the people who do this every day can work out creatively how to best deliver it and i suppose that's the sharp end blunt end piece of pulling them together is we're building the sandpit that they then build their castles in mm. and that's that that comes back to that foreigners and efficiency thing isn't it the foreigners is at the top end where you're deciding what how big is the sandpit what, what's our scope here that's mm -hmm. the foreigners and then we go right here's the scope here's, we've, we've defined it here's what you must do here's what you must not do and then everything else just get it done off you go uh, and on. how you communicate that sandpit mm. if you like yeah. how you engage with people and make it seem an enabling thing that you're helping them that you're not saying you can't all the time. You're saying, okay, I'm trying to work out what we're able to do mm. and we're doing our best to find that out. And we did, one of the teams said, chat this, we did loads of Q&A sessions with just people in the safety team, getting on a hangout and inviting as many people as wanted to come along from production. So lots and lots of people to just say, this is what we know now. Anyone got any questions? Because you're mm. just transparent and you're a person, you're not producing lots of documentation, you're talking to people. Yeah, I love that. Which, by the fact we've been on this call for ages, is probably my downfall. Yeah. The, the, Talking a lot. Note to self, Ruth and James can talk a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Don't combine in one. No. <laughs> or book out entire day. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. On that note, Ruth, I am going to let you get back to your life and your children. Thank you very much. And your, I shall. Is it Sunday today? It is Sunday. Oh, I will get sorry. back to my Sunday. I will go and sort out some Sunday lunch, maybe. There you go. Well, have a lovely day. Thank you very much, Ruth. No problem. Lovely to speak to you, James. Okay, peeps. Hope you enjoyed that conversation. Don't Did I do my sponsor shout out? I don't think I did, did I? You got away with that one there, you lucky buggers. You lucky buggers. Before we say goodbye, a quick word from the sponsors. Our sponsor, Paradigm Human Performance, um, very grateful to them for sponsoring us. It helps us kind of work on our content, helps us get better content, improve our quality. And, um, and ultimately, it helps us get an amazing company 
out there a little bit more into the eyes of our and ears of our audience. So if you're listening to this and you're in a small and medium-sized enterprise, or maybe you're listening to this because you are the owner of that small and medium-sized business, and you're thinking, I'm listening to this because I need to get a bit better at safety, then Paradigm Human Performance's HSC subscription service is the solution for you. Starting from just £99 a month, they will make you compliant. But not only will they make you compliant, they will make you appreciate how to get the workers' subject matter expertise into your brain and into your system, how to put worker safety, the DNA of what you do. And this is not just any old compliance system. This is a hop system. So it's got hop woven through it. So this isn't the kind of compliance system that you're going to have to declutter once you've read a couple of Decker's books or Honagel's books or so on. This is a ready to go option delivered by human organizational performance experts. Paradigm have got some amazing visions. Teresa is an amazing lady, the founder. She's involved in so much of what I do. I have so much time for her, so much respect for her. And when we got to the point where she was like, I'm thinking of sponsoring Rebound and Safety, it was just such a good fit. They have such an amazing vision of educating people and opening people's minds and getting people in front of people basically good people doing amazing work and getting them in front of people and that brings me on nicely to their learning organization webinar if you're not quite sure about the working with them yet go check out the learning organization webinar website's in the description below it is phenomenal so good every tuesday two o'clock i'll see you there on there most most thursdays okay finally just a note from project Meletium. project Meletium is a mastermind community for people that manage health safety risk anything like that it's the only mastermind community in the safety profession. It's the only place you're going to have regular philosophy conversations. It's the only place where you're going to feel psychologically safe to have an open and honest conversation and a community that's there to genuinely help you grow and help you succeed. And in my opinion, it's one of the most diverse membership organisations we've got already. And it's only been going for four months. So if you're interested and you want to come check it out, you can come on our weekly community calls free of charge. Um, we'll get you on one of those. Just talk to me or Colin Nottage, the co-founder, uh, or email us both at me at projectmeletium.com. I'll put all the details in the description below. Once you join, you'll get to go on those weekly community calls. There's run on a Wednesday and a Friday. We also run a monthly philosophy call. Like I said, the only place that's having safety philosophical discussions. We also have a monthly book club and a quarterly wagon wheel mastermind event where we have keynote speakers and workshops with that keynote speaker. We get close and intimate conversations with them. Okay, peeps, that's enough from me. Um, I hope you enjoyed that conversation and I'll see you next week. Safe. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the host and its guests and do not necessarily reflect the position of the companies. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are examples only based on limited and dated open source information and should not be utilised in real life as the only solution available. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the companies. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic or otherwise, without prior written permission from James McPherson.